Welcome to the Inside Texas Football YouTube channel powered by InsideTexas.com. I'm Joe Cook. We got Ian Boyd, Justin Wells, Eric Nalene, the core four are here. We got about an hour here on this live stream. We're going to get to your questions. We're going to get to a lot of different topics. We're all going to be, we're all pretty excited about the, the offseason. Wish it wasn't here. Wish we had another game to talk about, but some promising developments already uh, for Texas over the past few days, news and notes. Uh, between NFL draft declarations, guys announcing they're returning, uh, guys entering the portal, and of course, a brand new assistant hire that we had the nails on over at Inside Texas. If you were at Inside Texas, you learned that Johnny Nansen was the basically the leading candidate. Um, it, it came to fruition. Texas hired him away from Arizona from a sitting defensive coordinator spot. And I think that's where uh, we probably want to start, right, Eric? That was uh, something you reported uh, just before the the new year, and that was the, the main guy to replace Jeff Choate and brings a lot of great qualities, not only on field, but as a recruiter, too, uh, to a position that had a lot of great recruiting chops uh, even before, you know, he was hired. Yeah, I mean, uh, if you were going to, you know, build a build a coach in a lab for Sark, you'd like weird science, I think you would go with uh, Johnny Nansen, uh, great recruiter. Obviously, they go back a long ways. He's coached numerous positions, different positions even for Sark. Uh, but lately, he's been coaching linebackers and uh, had a good run at defensive coordinator. Now, he'll be a co-DC at Texas. He'll, you know, he'll have some input with PK for sure. Uh, but I'm really excited to see how he does as a recruiter. He's a volume recruiter. He's not just going to recruit linebackers. Uh, you know, he's going to be the point man in Texas, just like Terry Joseph is in, in Louisiana. Uh, opens up a lot of doors for Sark. He can be the surrogate for Sark out on the road out there in California. Uh, you know, those guys kind of finish each other's sentences. So it's a big hire, man. I can't even imagine a better hire than, than Johnny Nansen. I was, when I first heard it, I was like, my jaw dropped. I was like, really? They, they can get that guy? Uh, and then you look deeper into their relationship, his daughter going to Texas, and you're like, yeah, this is going to get done. I want to ask Eric about his recruiting. So has he been, I mean, he's been at Arizona, right? So is he pretty familiar with California, Arizona, Utah, and that whole Scene. Yeah, absolutely. He was at USC for a number of years before um, uh, before he was at Arizona. So he was there with Sark, and then he remained after, uh, which tells you he had value add to the next coach. Of course, they want to keep that that recruiting going. He's a guy you would hire just to recruit. Uh, and then on top of it, he's a good coach. So he's a, he's a bit of a unicorn in that regard. And he's got great ties out in Southern California. He's been there a long time. Obviously, when you're at USC, you've got the pick of the litter oftentimes, at least when they're on an upward tick. Right now, they're not on the on the most upward ticket. So I think it's they're going to see some success. And, you know, Texas has a linebacker out in California. He's up in the Bay Area, Marco Jones, that they like. Uh, but that's actually a very good year in California for linebackers. Um, you know, there's some out here in Texas, too. Uh, so it's going to be really interesting to see which direction he goes. But it, it's going to be more than just uh, recruiting linebackers out west. He'll be recruiting the whole, uh, whole you know, every position. So with He'll with all everything he's shown so far – sorry, Joe – at this point – I mean, he's trying to build a resume as to be a head coach somewhere, probably, right? Yeah, I don't know. You know, he's got. Um, you know, he's. he's well, I don't think that he's in the on the quickest path for that. Um, I'm not sure it's a huge concern of his right now. I imagine he wants to hang out with his daughter a little bit, hang out with his old pal Sart, win a national championship or two, recruit some five stars, uh, and then we'll see what uh, what the future holds. But it, I don't think he's a one and done type coach for Texas. Um, obviously, he's you know going to continue building his resume out and. I think it's, you know, Sark, Sark learned from the pros, Pete Carroll and, and Nick Saban. There's a lot that he can impart to Johnny Nansen if he ever does get, get that call to be head coach. Justin, I wanted to kind of touch on Jarrett Johnson's question. How does he affect recruiting? We, we discussed that just now. 
But there's a, an aspect about Johnny Nansen that I think we haven't talked about is that he was born in Samoa. He lived in American Samoa. And with the, how much Texas has reached out, not just to California, but also Arizona and, and Utah and wherever the talent is, it helps to have you know an additional way to get the foot in the door uh, with some of the, the talented players out there, many of whom are obviously Polynesian. And uh, we know very well that, that Pete Kwiatkowski and Jeff Choate as well uh, had good inroads with many different Polynesian communities, even all the way out to Hawaii. But this is, you know, a little bit different. I think, Eric, you've got the line. It's like you don't get the uh, – you have Robert De Niro play the gangster or something like that. So this – this you got to play the part. You got to play – you know, you, you might want to play other roles, but at some point you got to go to your bread and butter. Sometimes Robert De Niro has to play the gangster. And so, Justin, this, this obviously is going to help out with not just West Coast recruiting, <laughs> but with some of the more talented well, – you know, anybody in the West Coast, no matter what they look like, where they play and uh, what position they're at. Look at look at after the announcement was made by the University of Texas, the amount of people that tweeted at Coach Nansen and and, and, and a few of them basically shouted out Polly. He said, Texas is about to open a pipeline to the Polly now. And, and, and I think that's kind of that's another aspect that you get from Nansen. You're, he's very well rounded and there is some serious we have seen a growth of talent over on the West Coast and that, for, you know, for, for, the, for that core for years now, there's always talent. We've seen a, a section of it in Texas as well. And so to me, I, I think the biggest thing he can do, get to know Riley Pettijohn pretty quickly. Uh, possibly, you know, stay in touch with, with uh, Jonah Williams. We don't know what he's going to do. Probably baseball, but that's a guy you got to continue to recruit. Just get on the, get on the ground and meet these you know, linebacker targets that are in front of Texas on the big board. The quicker he does that, the quicker he'll get adjusted. And we got to, you know, we got to mention that he's already got to commit. Jeff Choate left them in good standing with Marco Jones and uh, Riley Pettijohn and some others, but also they've already got a commitment from Anthony Williams. So he's hitting the ground running. And it should be said, you know, he doesn't just have those ties to the Polynesian community. He's he's from he's from Samoa. He grew up in America, American Samoa before he moved to America. So. Um, yeah, he's going to have street cred, and street cred in that community is extremely important. You can't get off the ground without it. Amen. He's also just been all over. I think he posted his bio. He's been at all levels, Idaho State and Idaho, which I don't know how this you will, This that. will be his furthest, the furthest east he's ever coached. Uh, he's going to be missing that Pacific Ocean, but he was at Idaho and Idaho State. I believe uh, one of those he was with Jeff Banks, played at Washington State with Jeff Banks for a year. Uh, he's a West Coast guy, you know, kind of like Sark. So Sark is going – you know, see the shining sea. You've got guys working the East Coast, Deshard Choice, uh, Bo Davis working the Deep South, uh, Kyle Flood working the Northeast even, got Sadir Mitchell, made a couple runs at, at some other guys from out that way. And then uh, you've got Johnny Nansen, who's going to be, uh, be a, you know, he's going to kick a lot of butt on the uh, on the West Coast Trail. There's also another aspect that, I mean, you're, you're getting an on-field coach. We can talk about recruiting all we want. And Ian, we may be able to dive into some of the X's and O's, but just from a raw numbers standpoint, if you look at Arizona, they were 125 in total defense in 2022. In 2023, all the way up to number 50. So not only are you getting a guy who has inroads with all these different communities, all these different you know recruits, West Coast, wherever it may be, probably a pretty good coach helping Jed Fish get to one of Arizona's best years in a long time. And uh, just by gleaning the, the Oklahoma Alamo Bowl highlights, it looks like he's done it in a, a variety of ways. And kind of like PK is willing to try, you know, he has what he likes, but he's trying willing to try basically any uh, form or method in order to make a good defense. Yeah. I got some feedback from him about him from uh, my guy, Cameron Saran is a good Twitter follower for anybody that's into 
really particular nerdy stuff about football. And uh, he didn't make this comp, but he made Nansen sound a little bit like how Brent Venables used to be at Oklahoma, where uh, they'd like, they would have like their core, like seven or eight guys that played every week, but then they would build different packages and formations and run a couple different plays every week based on who their opponent was. Uh, so they're very multiple um, at Arizona this year. And if you watch that Alamo bowl, which I I'll break down on the website this week, but if you saw it live, I mean, they threw a lot of different stuff at Oklahoma and they gave up a lot of yards, but they also confused the heck out of Jackson Arnold and picked him off like three and a half times, a couple of good fumbles. Um, so he's not just a recruiter. He's obviously a bit of a schemer as well. And uh, I think it'll be very interesting to see because he's buds with Sark, right? And they go back a long ways. And so I think Nansen is going to have a, a loud voice in Sark's ear about what Texas is doing on defense and what maybe they should be doing or what isn't, isn't working. So I'm, I'm, I'm honestly fascinated to see how that works out. And PK, I mean, PK has been amenable to working with all kinds of different people. So I'm, I'm not worried about it. I'm, I'm just fascinated to see how it, how it plays out. Hey, this is a good uh, chance to take a question from Jeff Latcham. I'm sorry. We'll get to that super chat here in a second, but this ties in directly to, uh, uh, to Nance, and he asked about Darian Gillette. How's he progressing uh, after the fall? Uh, still an athlete. You know, he, he the the injury, from what we hear, is didn't really harm his uh, athleticism, which is his calling card. Uh, he's also got a lot of uh, got a length, a lot of length for linebacker. You know, I anticipate him sticking at will, uh, giving Nansen a very good uh, ball of clay to work with upon his arrival. You know, once they got once they got Colin Simmons, it pretty much ensured that Gallette was going to be able to see out his future at linebacker, at least uh, for the foreseeable future. Yeah. They didn't necessarily need him out on edge, but he's also going to be a guy that you're going to want to take advantage of that athleticism, moving him downhill uh, as a blitzer, and maybe maybe even have him playing off the edge at times. And you know, perhaps he could even turn into a Sam, which is what Jet Bush played. But uh, Darian looks Darian looks good. He, you can't really tell that he's he was hurt, um, and we're going to follow him closely in the spring, along with uh, how Nansen's deploying him. Well, I had one last thing on Nansen, and like you said, we'll get to the Super Chat, and it kind of tie in together. It says a lot about just the state of the sport right now that a play-calling defensive coordinator – and granted, there are you know obviously longstanding ties between Nansen and Sarkeesian – but that a play-calling defensive coordinator, whether it be – you know you want to call it a Pac-12 program or a Big 12 program, left to be an assistant coach at an SEC program – especially ahead of Texas' first season in the SEC. And that kind of leads us to Brett Nelson's question. Most important conference game to win for next year? Justin, I, I think there's only one answer. I think there's always only one answer. I know Ian thinks that too, but I'm curious what you think about this one. Let me tell you something. Only in 2024 would there be a possibility of a different answer, a possibility of it. you got to beat Oklahoma. It doesn't matter what conference you're in, what year it is. You got to beat those guys to the north of the Red River. That's the rules. We didn't make them. We just followed them. You also have to put in the consideration, though, that Texas A&M is back on the schedule. And how much do you want to be annoyed at your holiday gatherings on Thanksgiving and Christmas dictates that game. So that's also what's important. Let's not forget Georgia is coming to Austin next year. Brett asked a loaded question, brother, and it's a great one. Georgia coming, going to Florida, A&M back on the schedule. Arkansas going to get some pig soup. 
in, in Fayetteville? That's a loaded question, but I'm going with OU. Every year, the answer to me remains the same. OU. You yeah. know what? If 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 Sark were two and one against Oklahoma, it, maybe it would be A and M. Like if you were going to really put an emphasis on guys, we're going to win this game. Like in in terms of like your game planning and just being all in, maybe you would want it to be A and M. But after being, you don't want to get one and three against Oklahoma. Yeah, sometimes I overthink this, and then you go sit in that stadium, and it's patently obvious that there's no bigger game. Nothing means more in that moment in the entire world uh, than that game. And so it's it's kind of absurd to even talk about another team. Uh, but I am with Justin at that, that A&M game. You know, that's going to be my wife's birthday. I told her, don't worry, she'll be able to go. Um, I don't – yeah, we don't want to lose. I come from a split town. It's probably even more Aggie than it is more uh, UT in Belleville, Texas. And uh, so, you know, we've got to have bragging rights, uh, you know, year-round. And there's a couple really annoying friends of mine on Twitter uh, that are Aggies that I just – I'm not going to be able to tolerate uh, hearing from them. I'm, I'm going to have to block some of my closest friends. I, I think it goes Oklahoma, Texas A&M, Georgia. I think that's the easy top three – What's number four? And I, I got an yeah, argument. I, what about Michigan getting off to the season to a, to a good start? You're going to be playing a Michigan uh, team that's uh, going to take on a, a whole different look, maybe even a whole new head coach. Hit the ground running. They're going to have a new head coach, new quarterback. New that's going to look like a different team. It could be not. Yeah, the playoffs are expanding. I think you know. I think the the non conference games you know matter uh, matter even more uh, than good they point. did that because that that win is going to you know, propel them to be in, you know, there's going to be a big difference between being 10 and two and nine and three. I think Michigan's the obviously fourth, but it's, it's for conference games. So if you're sticking it to sticking to sec teams. Oh, oh yeah. Can, conference. I'm sorry. Yeah. Kentucky. Like they may be, they may be a good team next year. And I'm, I'm they've not, always got athletes at Kentucky. They've always got linebackers and DBs that play in the NFL every year. Yeah. And, it seems they've always got a running back too. I'm yeah, not a Memphis. I'm not a big believer in Arkansas going into next year. Vanderbilt still is going to be Vanderbilt. Jeff Levy still going to be walking into a tough program. I, I don't believe in Billy Napier in Florida. Like I think that Kentucky team is going to be pretty Sneaky. quality. And where, they, do they, where do they play Arkansas again? In Arkansas. So yeah, I can't so go with two there either. There's too many old ties. Yeah, Sark's going to remember 2021 for sure. That was when his <laughs> eyes were, were open for him. Like, oh, man, this is going to be a, be some work. Hey, Brett, we appreciate that. That's going to be a Starbucks for uh, for Justin over there. I love it. Uh, we got to talk a little bit about some of the uh, guys who have declared uh, over the course of this past week. Um, let's see. Jonathan Brooks, Xavier Worthy, Ryan Watts, Byron Murphy, and Jatavian Sanders all have declared for the NFL draft. In the case of Brooks, Worthy, Murphy, and Sanders, these are guys who had one to two more – actually, just one more year of eligibility. They're all 2021 guys, uh, so they only had one more year left but are foregoing it. In the case of Watts, we reported – Eric, you reported over Inside Texas that he – though he was maybe thought to be a guy considering using his COVID year, you reported on Friday that he would not, and of course he made that announcement today – are any of these, you know, aside from what you knew about Watts, I, I, is there any real surprise? I feel like Brooks is the, maybe the one you think like, huh, maybe come back for a second. But the rest, yeah. it all kind of makes sense that they're talented enough and in a good position that they would go ahead and declare for the draft. 
Yeah, I'm not sure I've ever wanted a player to declare early uh, as much as I wanted Jonathan Brooks. You know, there's always a selfish side to this. You know, I hate that. I see, you know, we see those uh, sad emoji responses when a guy goes early. Uh, that's a very selfish thing. I did not want Brooks to come back because if he comes back and got re-injured or didn't look the same, uh, that's a lot, a lot, a lot of money it's going to cost him. And once he yeah. stayed high up in the mock drafts, that the mock drafts are based on a lot of what they're hearing from scouts. Um, then that meant, you know, he had to go. And now, now, like I said before, is you've got a team that's going to have millions of dollars invested in him, making sure he gets the, the best possible rehabilitation he can. So um, I'm really happy for him. And, you know, he had to go. I, I think so, too. I mean, it, it's with the way running back goes in this game, that second contract, getting there as soon as possible, even if you have to be a backup, even if you if you have to rehab a little bit, I feel like that's the, the way to go. And, you know, with the way that, I think his surgery works. He had surgery in Dallas right after the Big 12 championship game, after he got that one last play uh, with, was long, awesome. with the Longhorns against Oklahoma State. And he will I don't think he'll be able to go through pro day. I bet he gets invited to the combine just to do interviews. No, he's uh, not going to a pro day. Joe, do you yeah, remember yeah, – Joe, do you remember in the Big 12 championship when he went and changed? Because yeah. he started the game in street clothes. Yeah, that was always he, a question to me. So, I, yeah, saw, got, I wondered about that too. He got he probably you know punked some walk on for his pads real quick, or maybe they even brought him with them. Because I think they brought him with them because remember they talked about it during the yeah. during the practice. They wanted to run that specific play if they were in that position, if they were so inclined. I just noticed, hey, Brooks is in street clothes now. He's in a uniform. What is going on? And of course, we got to see it, and that became one of the biggest moments, in my opinion, of the season. Yeah, oh, that was a lot of fun. Let's uh, let's get the should we get the AD Mitchell questions out of the way? Yeah, because that ties into some portal recruiting, wide receiver recruiting too. Yeah, it's time. I was gonna ask one more question, but yeah, it's time for the AD Mitchell update. That's been something that uh, people have been asking about on here on Inside Texas a lot, and mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of Eric just kind of seems like a little bit of a waiting game. But what do you have on it? Yeah, I don't know anybody that expects him back. So that's the that's the first and foremost. But there have been some interesting things about Texas being quite deliberate with that second wide receiver take. Um, but to me, that I'm not hearing anything about him coming back. I don't know why he hasn't declared yet, and that I get. I understand why fans are asking about him. Uh, the 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 public facing fact pattern here uh, looks like maybe he's contemplating it. Uh, but my information doesn't point him towards returning. It's you know I say, said the same thing about Jatavian Sanders. Just I'm not hearing from anywhere that he's coming back. Uh, Jaday Barron is one that we're talking about that actually is contemplating it, but I haven't heard that AD is contemplating it. And, you know, they're host, hosted a receiver on. Justin will probably talk about the receiver they hosted today uh, out of the transfer portal. It looks like they are they know that they need to move on. But, you know, until he, de- until he declares, we're all kind of paying attention to it. Again, I you know, I just haven't heard anything uh, that leads me to believe that he'll be back, which, you know, I could actually make a case for him coming back, being the number one receiver in the draft next year, top top two receivers in the draft next year. And that's a that's a – pretty big difference if he ends up being drafted in the second round uh but i will say this sark makes these decisions very hard on the guys he's he's got a, he's got his uh pitch buttoned up uh he makes all the compelling points you know at least we saw that with work with alfred collins uh it's giving uh jaday Barron something to think about and uh so maybe maybe ad's contemplating it more than anybody really knows about but i don't expect him back ian you always talk about how outside receivers are just game breakers in the modern game of football of that list that I had up on the screen, uh, let's see, with Brooks, Worthy, Watts, Murphy, Sanders, and then, you know, if AD were to clear, would he be the toughest to replace of that group? Well, him or Worthy, right? 
Um, I'd almost say I'd almost say uh, Mitchell, because Worthy wasn't always as easy in the last couple of years for Texas to actually hit down the field. Like he ended up some of his best value in the last two years with Quinn Ewers was like uh, gadget plays, like screens, and then also punt returns. Um, Mitchell was really the guy where it's like we need somebody to get open. And yes. we need to be able to throw it up and somebody pull the ball out of the sky, right? Yeah. We knew going back to the spring in August that he was going to be the go-to guy in the, in the high leverage situations, and that's exactly what he was. So I'm, I'm with you on AD being the toughest to replace. Yeah, so I think I think that's it, right? Um, and I, that's kind of the that's kind of the missing piece for next year. Like maybe Golden has a little bit of that, um, but probably not quite like Mitchell, and then Cook. Maybe has a little bit of that, but probably not quite like Mitchell. I think Cook has some good possession qualities, big big moment qualities, but he's more of a get open receiver than a guy that that you know makes that late adjusting play that uh, that we saw. You know, Mitchell made a couple times falling down against TCU. Maybe uh, CJ Daniels, the, the Liberty transfer, can become that guy. But yeah, you don't just replace AD Mitchell. And you know, if he would come back, I would say Texas is a clear favorite to win the national championship. That's how good he is. I think Justin, he'll be replaced in the aggregate. With like a CJ Daniels and, and bringing in, you know, potentially another guy, you know, they'd love to keep Mitchell. I mean, Ian nailed it. Quinn Ewers needed this guy. He was, I, this was what Isaiah Nayor was supposed to be last year. And so we saw how important that piece is. And, and, and to keep guys updated, uh, we, we posted an update on, on CJ Daniels just a couple, a couple hours ago at InsideTexas.com. Please come and see us. Please like, please subscribe, do all the wonderful things that, that, that brings us joy and allows us to bring you this. Great, great content. Uh, Daniels was on campus today, the, the Liberty wide receiver. If you count his conference championship game in, in Fiesta Bowl, he's the 1,000-yard receiver this year. Uh, he was Caden Salter's main uh, target for, for the uh, former Hugh Freeze University. Um, that's a big thing. Tonight, I believe, uh, you know, one source told me that he could be eating dinner with, with, with the staff, with a couple of the staffers right now from, from Texas. And I think that's important because Texas, even though AD is still potentially waiting, Hey, you, you got to look forward and move forward. And to me, CJ Daniels is, is a step in that direction. He's 6'2, about 200 pounds, and he can play that outside. Like Eric said, you got to replace that. I'm not sure you replace AD, but you could him, Ryan Wingo, and a dash of DeAndre Moore or Matthew Golden. I think you could do it moneyball style in the aggregate. We'll keep going. Uh what'd you have, Eric? Well, I think we should get to Helio Castillo's uh question here about Zach Swanson often yeah. overlooked uh, the story on Zach Swanson he's been a defensive tackle Helio um, he's been there for a while they just want him learning those inside techniques stunts and all that hand placement's important um, his question the question with him is um, that's a good friend of mine uh, the question with him is how much weight can he put on he can be a good player if he puts on some good weight uh, and that's the thing that's the thing holding him back he's a good player he's got a good motor he's got a good first step uh, he's a grappler in there, doesn't have the greatest length, doesn't have the greatest size, uh, but he's tough to keep blocked. Um, and so, yeah, I think if you can put on about another 10, 15 pounds, I think he's about 270 right now. Um, you're looking at a player. This is always going to be a longer curve for him. It's a guy that we anticipate seeing more of as an upperclassman. I like that he's still around. The fact that he's still around tells you that he has some talent. Had another one uh, I saw from Patrick Smith. Did Demo popularize number zero? Was he the first to use that number? 
Saw lots of bowl highlights this year from other schools using the number zero. I think that was something that came about, you know, in that 2021 season. I think they started it. Um, I don't trust a quarterback who wears zero. I think that's a giant red flag. Uh, but a guy who can uh, make use of zero and, and brand himself with it like he did, everybody's going to use Agent Zero, but he took advantage of it. Um, I, I think it's 2021. And so you saw, hey, maybe he started something with uh, Anthony Hill being the next one, and maybe Jatavian Sanders starts something with tight ends being zero. I, Paul Paul Wadlington has numerology, and I wonder how that fits in because he wrote that before uh, zero became a thing. But uh, what'd you have on it, Ian? Well, they made it like a eligible number. It didn't right. use the number you could have. It was part of that year that all the kids got to vote for stuff they wanted. As soon as it was a number that you were allowed to have, then it's like, not only is it a single digit, but it's like a, it's like the unique prize hip new one. Right. So I don't think Demo started that like nationwide. No. By any stretch but he was the first to get to do it at Texas. And I, I, I almost think that other schools did it before Texas did, but I'm not totally sure. It was an NCAA rule. It okay. was, it was, yeah, it was, it was allowed. It was like all the coolest best players and every team were like going into the coach's office being like, I want that zero. So I could never wear the number zero. I don't get that at all. Not one bit. I know it's different because it's unique and not everyone's going to be able to have it. I'm just not a – I'm a numbers guy. I'm a sports guy. I don't like zero. I don't feel that. What about double zero? Go Greg Ostertag on everybody. Mm. Only mm. if you're a center in a post is that allowed. I'm going to tell you one thing that makes me really – Didn't he go to Duncanville? Yes. Yes. That is wild. Yes. Kansas, is former wild. Kansas center. Absolutely. Played in the league for probably a good 10 years. Oh, yeah. I'll tell you what I really don't – what's really uncomfortable is a quarterback that wears number 33. I don't oh, care yeah. who you're related to. I don't really care what awards that guy has. I, the first part of that game was so uncomfortable to me. I, I'm i out. No, Devin, not doing that. That was the one-time Texas target. Speaking of targets, I like this one from uh, <laughs> Jay Tomp 247 Does Quinn or Arch carry any weight on portal requirements? I bet that means portal recruitments. Absolutely. Uh, if you're a wide receiver or a pass catcher or – Heck, even a running back, you want to go to a functional offense. And the fact that Texas has one quarterback for sure and probably most likely two quarterbacks who can run a functional offense, I feel like, Eric, that has to make an influence. We even saw Quinn before he played a snap. He was trying to affect Jordan Addison back when that recruitment was going on when he eventually left Pitt for USC. But, yeah, I mean, think about it like from NFL terms. You know, the Chiefs are going to have to sign some wide receivers this this offseason. You think Patrick Mahomes being uh, on that team is going to help the Chiefs? Yeah, of course. You think Quinn Ewers helped with Matthew Golden and whoever else they uh, attack in the transfer portal? I feel like the answer is an obvious yes. Yeah, absolutely. These guys are, you know, you know, a lot of these guys are looking for the best situation and quarterback who's going to feed them the ball is high, high up the list. The offense is big, of course. Uh, it's part and parcel of the, the offense and the quarterback. Texas has both. And so, uh, and they've got proof of concept with the wide receivers and they've got opportunity. So this is a it's pretty much a no brainer uh, for the right wide receiver to, to pick Texas. I mean, Golden didn't take any time. Um, it's a bit of an IQ test and uh, Golden clearly passed it. We'll see. They've got a quarterback coming in. that's going to be a Heisman front runner. Uh, Sark's offense. We still haven't even seen the best of Sark's offense yet. Uh, we'll probably see that next year as the drop back passing game opens up a little bit more. At least that's the hope. 
Uh, they're going to have a good run game and offensive line that protect the passing game. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of good things going on at Texas, but having, having good quarterbacks is right at the top. Justin, do you know how much involvement maybe Quinn or even Arch has had? And I know they're involved in regular high school recruitments or kind of were when they were recruits, but how much do they really get involved when it comes to some of these portal guys? I don't know how much Quinn is involved. I hear quite more about Arch being involved. Um, I know in, in, in with the portal, I think it's a mixture because it all depends on who you get on campus. You know, presumably like a CJ Daniels, you know he's going to connect with Arch at some point in the day just to shake his hand, let him know, hey, but Quinn Ewers is probably going to be his guy anyway, but still I, he would have an influence, but it's more on recruiting in my opinion. It's more – it helped with Ryan Wingo. It helped with Anthony Hill. People don't realize, you know, it, it kind of struck further away when Cooper Manning's <laughs> texting a, a high school linebacker. Uh, that, to me, carried some weight, and, and, and he proved that. And so – in the portal, I think it's a little different. It, I think it's on a player-by-player player basis, to be honest with you. But there's definitely some weight with Arch with, when it comes to recruiting in that class, especially this last year with the wide receivers. Parker Livingstone, Fr Freddie DeBose, they love that guy. Aaron Butler remains to be seen, but we know that he, he likes the idea of playing with that guy. And so I think it's more with recruits rather than in the portal. I remember Freddie DeBose, I think, last summer, so summer of like 2022, I think, something like that. Even he was talking about like Arch, and that was you know a guy a full class behind him. Uh, that that's how much that effect that there was an Arch effect, and it helped with not only his class but the class after. So I think it helps if it helps in the high school recruiting sphere. Pretty sure it helps in the the other recruiting sphere as well. Um, Ian, I think you'll like this one. Another good question from Champ Bailey. Michigan possible defending champs. I know, Eric, you talked about that being an important game on the schedule. We can talk a little bit about the uh, national championship. I think if it – unfortunately, since it's not Texas, you would have loved to have seen Texas and Michigan in there, you particularly. Uh, but, I mean, as far as compelling matchups go, number one offense in the country or number one passing offense with maybe the guy who should have won the Heisman versus Michigan and everything going on, like – this is a fun one uh, coming up tomorrow night. It would have been pretty uh, interesting up here tomorrow if uh, Texas was playing Michigan. I got a lot of Michigan grads and fans in my life, as you might imagine. <laughs> I, <clears throat> I honestly don't know who's going to win right now. Um, I'm going to write a preview for it for tomorrow, finish my preview, and I still don't really know. It feels like a tough fight. Like uh, Michigan, you know, they built their defense to stop Ohio State's passing game. And so they're better equipped for this than, say, Texas was, or most teams are going up against the Penix and Adunze in that offense. Um, and then I think people are kind of sleeping a little bit. I think people are taking it for granted that Michigan's just going to run up and down the field or Washington's defense. They're pretty smart. They're, they tend to uh, – they give up yardage and they'll give up some points, but they're very targeted, and they, and they try to, like – they like overplayed some of Texas's tendencies as, as Paul Wadlington noted in his breakdown. Uh, they'll like give something up here because they know if they shut you down somewhere else, then you will not be able to function well enough to beat them. So I think it's a great game and I honestly don't know who's going to win right now. <laughs> yeah, That's hard hitting analysis. Can McCarthy punish them if they overplay the run? Yeah, but they probably won't. <laughs> That's just the thing. Like, I don't think they're going to just, I think they'll try to survive. I, I think they may focus on shutting down McCarthy 
and then trying to survive against the run. Um, and then if they can score enough with their own offense, that might be a, a winning formula. I think it guarantees to be, Hey, I, I'm, I'm kind of a hater statement, but I'm glad Bama's not in this because the storyline <laughs> of nobody believed in us coming from Nick Saban and, uh, <laughs> and, and Jalen Milrow just doesn't do it for me. There would have been a ton of storylines. If, if Texas had made it, the, the Sark redemption storyline continuing the whole back question uh, <laughs> thinks we're not going to be in Houston tomorrow, but I'm I'm glad that we are going to get a good game out of it, and I, the the Harbaugh aspect of it is is going to be real interesting because there's already NFL media who are starting to put out you know aspects of uh, could Harbaugh go here, could he go here, and I think as Texas fans you have to pay attention to that because that's going to have a huge influence not only on the team next year but on that game uh, and how Texas 2024 schedule goes as a result. So. There is some Texas intrigue, I feel like, for this national championship game, not just in that it was the team that beat Texas playing for it, but also just this team upcoming on the schedule to where they could be playing the defending national champions in week two up in Ann Arbor. And Joe, don't forget, they're also, aren't they still hosting Michigan in 2025? So you'll get a real good idea. Yeah, or I think it's 27. Is is it 27? Yeah, I think that's when Fox and – uh, that crew uh, did the flip flop, so well, that's a gap. Um, yeah, that that, oh, that, that time will be Harbaugh will be back. Yeah, so um, we'll we'll get also also ahead, relevant yeah. also relevant for Texas. I think that win over Alabama aged better with them losing than if I think if Alabama had rolled through the playoffs, then it would have just been Texas didn't beat Alabama. Alabama wasn't Alabama yet. They figured it out. The Texas game was a fluke. So I know that Alabama losing made Texas's win look a little bit less. But I think it also confirmed, like, no, the Alabama that won the ACC is the Alabama Texas beat. Right? I think that's uh, – yeah. It, it, and it still wasn't a great saving team, but it's still an Alabama team. It was a top-four team. Yeah. We'll get to some more questions in a little bit, but we got to talk about another topic that – we had at Inside Texas over the course of the past couple weeks. Jake Majors, Alfred Collins, and Baron Sorrell in recent days have all announced that they will be returning to Texas for the 2024 season. And uh, Justin, Eric, I think uh, the most important of these is, hey, it's great to have an experienced defensive end. It's great to have experience at center. But Alfred Collins could be a game breaker this upcoming season, and it's going to be a great luxury for Pete Kwiatkowski and Bo Davis to, to have him at, uh, have uh, Alfred Collins at their disposal. Yeah. I mean, we could have led the show with that one. That's how big it is to me. You know, he's coming back. I think he'll be the most motivated we've ever seen, which that's going to lead to consistency. Yeah. Uh, he's going to provide an interior pass rush, probably more so than we've seen in the past. And I, I don't know that he's going to win the outland trophy, uh, but he's got all the ability in the world to, to work his way up, uh, way up the draft. Uh, he's, you know, he's every bit as talented as Tavondre Sweat. Different players, of course, uh, but, you know, even better athlete, not quite as big, but still plenty of size. He's got some versatility. They can move him around a little bit. Um, I think we'll see the best uh, version of him as a run defender, too. So huge, huge development. Um, I know people don't get nearly as excited about uh, guys sticking around and being retained as they do new sexy names, new toys. Uh, but it's one of the biggest moves of the entire offseason, pretty much no matter what happens. Justin, how important is it to not just for this team and the program, but for Collins to have watched Ojimo and Coburn to have watched uh, 
Sweat and Murphy. And now he can be that guy. He and maybe even Vernon Broughton can be that guy for players like Sadir Mitchell, players like Zach Swanson we talked about earlier, a bunch of different guys. Jure Bledsoe. Jure Bledsoe, yeah. you know, any a number of players. How important is it that Collins is going to have the opportunity now to go be that guy uh, well, for, for the Texas defense? In the last – since he's been in Texas – in Austin, he hasn't been required to be that guy. They've always had a guy that was kind of in that place, in that role, as the alpha on the D-line, it seems like, since he's been on campus, until now. When he walks into these winter workouts in the next week, week and a half, two weeks, uh, he's going to have to take on that mental now. He's going to have to be a little more alpha, a little more aggressive, a little more vocal. You know, Alfred, as we've been told, is one of the you know best kids in the program. But, you know, the, the motor runs hot and cold sometimes. When you're the man, it's got to be cooking constantly. Your RPMs have to rev on a regular basis. To me, that's what you want to pull out of Alfred Collins. For the first three years, he hasn't needed to be the man. They've always had guys ahead of him better, maybe not as much potential, but more, much more productive and experienced. Now he has to put up or shut up. Now it's one of those do it now or don't do it now kind of deals. And I think for Alfred, that's the inner challenge that kid needs because the NFL drafts on potential. They don't draft on production. That kid just has to show a, a little bit more of a glimpse, and he is a first, second-day guy in 2025. That could be a really good pairing if they get Jamari Caldwell. I put in a prediction for Texas to get Jamari Caldwell, the, the U of H defensive tackle today. Um, that's a really good pairing. Ian, do you have any thoughts on Jamari Caldwell and, and that pairing and how, how best to play those two? Uh, well, I think Caldwell is going to have to be the one in the barrel that goes slides down to nose tackle. Um, at least yeah. against Texas, he got to play like a little bit of defensive end and a little bit of three tech because they played, you know, the three down flyover against Texas. And um, he was pretty good in that game. He gave Texas yeah. quite a it's, bit of trouble. Yeah. When, when Texas ran them over late in the game, it was usually when Caldwell was out. Uh, when he was in the game, when they had success, he was usually running the other way. He's kind of um, – I'd be curious to get a – I'm curious how Texas lists him because his listings – we were joking about this in the text thread. He's been listed like 6'4". He's been listed like 6'1". Uh, I don't know which is which. I usually err on the side of the smaller one. But he's he's big. He's thick. And he's hard to move. And uh, he's a little bit explosive too. So I think he'll probably – he may be like a bit he, – he'll probably play nose tackle, I would imagine, because – everyone else that's coming back that's good is probably a better at three technique. And uh, I think he may be a little bit like Coburn in the yeah. Texas defense. I don't know I if he'll be, that, I don't know be that good, but uh, I, I think that'd be kind of his, uh, his. Uh, if, if he was six, four, we'd probably be talking about an NFL. Yeah. Uh, he'd probably yeah. Be yeah. No doubt. That's uh, a Baltimore nose. If I've ever seen or Steelers nose, if I've ever seen one. Yeah. But don't call him six one. I'm not. I ain't upsetting. Well, he he took umbrage to that. He said he is. He's not six one. Maybe maybe that means he's six foot. I don't know. Yeah, he might. Ian, you wrote a big piece on that, <clears throat> kind of coming for where your thought. That's where your thoughts are coming from on uh, Alfred Collins. No matter who he's matched up with over on Inside Texas, um, obviously it's going to be. Uh, uh, he's not the same player as Byron Murphy. He's not the same player as Tavondre Sweat. But what are some of the things that Bo Davis could continue to use or maybe accentuate a bit more? With Collins, I know you said probably more three technique. That's where they had sweat for the most part this year. 
how does he kind of fit into that spot in a, in a place that'll probably feature him a little bit more? I guess he's a little more like Ojimo, only, you know, bigger. And uh, wh- one thing that he does super well that it'd be really great to see Texas do more of is when he's like looping and stunting from one gap to like another gap over. It's unbelievable some of the stuff he does at times. Like, remember, he played some defensive end in mm-hmm. uh, 2021 and looked outstanding. I think maybe his best position would actually be as a 3-4 defensive end. Yeah. Because uh, he's such an athlete. Even though he's like 6'5", 320 now, right? Mm-hmm. But when you watch him play, you look. it looks like you're watching a, a defensive end. 290. He looks like your old-style strong side defensive end, like Greg yes. Ellis. Yes, because he's, he's so laterally fast. He'll like he'll execute stunts and cross linemen's face, and they're just like, "How did that guy get over there?" And then he's in the quarterback's face. So they got it. I mean, he needs probably he needs to learn a little bit more about playing big and eating space. This yeah. is the nature of the scheme, but hopefully they can also unleash more of that, uh, just like agility. He's always been just a. I mean, he he has the ability to play all those positions, and I think that's why the coaches have bounced them all over i mean in 2020 he's playing he was playing end for chris ash he played end for sark and then they bounced him in or yeah bounced him inside for uh 2022 and obviously 2023 like he's talented enough to do it all and athletic enough to do it all and there's aren't are not a lot of guys who are exactly like that which speaks to who he is as a player but justin i think like you said he's just got to put it together a little bit more on a down by down uh basis and He'll be helped in that aspect because Texas rotates defensive tackle so often. You're not playing 50, 60 snaps a game if you're a Bo Davis defensive tackle. At least for the past two years, it's been the case because they've had such great depth. So I think think, I think he and Broughton are both going to break out, have coming out parties next season. They can play next to each other when they're in that base defense, right? I mean, Broughton Broughton's a similar player as far as his fit. Uh, both could play the run better, but both are really good off the ball and both have good length, good athleticism and mobility. Uh, I think both are going to have coming out parties next year. Broaden had at least one play every game this year where you yeah. said, hey, there's Vernon Broaden. There yeah. it is. At least one time every every Saturday. He played the run a lot better than he had in the past, still has some work yeah. to do. But um, he's he got a lot of pressures for his pa- – uh, we should look at PFF and, and uh, get an idea of that. But, but relative to his snaps, he got a lot of pressure. One more little aspect about Collins. Do you think his versatility has hurt his productivity, not trying to focus on one position? That's kind of what I just touched on, and no, I I don't think so. I think he just kind of has gone through that typical developmental line. Sometimes you see guys go from one side of defensive end to another side of defensive end. We maybe anticipate that being the case for Ethan Burke and maybe down the line for Colton Vosick, but like I I think it's you know it's it's been opportunity. He's had you know, arguably better players, more productive players in front of them. And it's just been making it consistent. You heard that from any coach who would talk about him. It's all about consistency. And I think that's what's affected him more. Um, can't get out of here before having Jake Majors and Baron Sorrell talked about uh, two guys who, hey, when you're playing in the, the SEC, which we can joke and know it's cliche, but, you know, when you think about it, it is still a line of scrimmage league. And having an experienced center in the middle of it I think is always going to be a positive. They've they've tried, maybe not tried to replace, but they've tinkered at center over the past couple of seasons. 
And yet Jake Majors has always been the constant in the middle of that line, even around all that tinkering. Ian, I think that's not going to be super celebrated, I guess to say, but I think that's a big aspect of, of Texas, uh, have a big benefit for Texas having Jake Majors back in the middle and not having to maybe break in Connor Robertson a little bit more or having Cole Hudson being forced to take on a job that he's trained at but hadn't got a lot of game action at either. It's it's good to have a vet there. I think uh, Majors quieted some of his critics by uh, beating Alabama, being missing when they couldn't punch it in against Oklahoma. Yep. Running over. A lot sooner than he should have probably. Yeah, running over teams down the stretch, playing hurt. The run game was less of an issue after losing Brooks than people thought. You can find him on film blocking people. Um, I At this point, he's like a major asset heading into next year. They ran more zone this year, and we'll probably do that next year as well because everybody else is kind of getting up to his level on knowing how to execute like combo blocks. And the more like outside zone they can run with majors, just the more it becomes apparent that he's a winning player. So he's, and then next year he'll have Campbell back with him. And then like Hudson or Connor, Umea Zulu or something, they could be really, really good running the ball. Definitely. It could be the story of next season. Justin, what do you think about Sorrell coming back and making sure that that Jack position is still going to be experienced and solid heading into the first season in SCC in 2024. You said it. It's experienced and solid. You know what you get from Sorrell on a, on a Saturday to Saturday basis. He'll, he'll flash sometimes. He'll get to the quarterback sometimes. He'll be active sometimes. He's got a good motor. He's been consistent to the point where he's gotten a little bit better, I felt like, each season. Each year we, I've seen a little bit more from him and a little bit more from him. I think this is going to be a year for a big opportunity for him if he wants to make hay in the NFL. Like if Baron Sorrell could probably get into the league right now as an undrafted free agent. But if he has a good 2024 through an SEC schedule and put some good, good stuff, good clips on tape, that now he becomes a, a, that he becomes that potential that Alfred Collins has in, in some ways, that potential that Vernon Broughton has. And that's another defensive lineman, outside guy making it to the NFL. Sorrell needs a breakout game, so games, breakout season. Sorrell needs to c- continue to get better. But, Joe, right now he's exactly what you said. He's experienced and solid. Yeah, he's going to be a grown man, um, and he's a, a fantastic program guy. He's great in the weight yes. room. He's great in the, in the training room. He's, he's the, exactly what you're looking for in a Texas football player in a lot of different ways. He's going to get hurt a little bit by packages, you know, pass rush packages. We saw that uh, this year. He looked like he got mad in a couple games that uh, he was getting taken off and, and still made the plays. Uh, I think he had a big sack versus uh, Wyoming maybe when they were down by the goal line, if memory serves. It's going to be interesting. I think Ethan Burke is going to move over there. And those two, we've seen how, uh, you know, players rotating has kept guys fresh. He's played a lot of snaps at Texas. Uh, I think having Burke there might even uh, increase his effectiveness. Can't disagree with any Joe, of that. there's a question down there that just popped up I'd like to answer. Well, we got Jim uh, Gilbo, too. We've got a lot of questions about – a couple questions about yeah. Gilbo. I'm start with Gilbo. I got to start with Gilbo and then go to that, to go to Hyde. Okay, I got a few to go. I got a few star, but we'll go with Gilbo. What's Gilbo's role going to be in 2024? Justin, Eric, which one of you wants to tackle that one? I'll handle it. It's, uh, he's going to be star, and yeah. he's going to compete with um, with Andrew Makuba, most likely. Makuba might still find himself at safety, uh, but I think uh, I think Gilbo's – they've got a lot of time invested in Gilbo at star. It's not the easiest position to learn. Um, 
but I think, uh, you know, I think he's got, a, he's going to get a lot of reps this spring for sure. He's, he's shown some flashes. He's had some struggles as well. Uh, but you know, I think he's, he's got some upside. They, they like Gilbert. Remember he had a couple issues off the field and they kept him around. That tells you, that tells you a lot about uh, his upside. Good physical player, uh, but he's got to compete. I don't think he's going to move to safety just because I think somebody suggested that just because they do have so much time invested him at a, at star at nickel. I think, you know, he just shows that coverage ability that you need at that position. And I think he shows also the, the, like you mentioned, the, the willingness to scrap that that he's position scrapping. also yeah. needs. So he's Justin, I have, kid. <laughs> no doubt. Justin, I found a good question for you. After the high school all-star games, which players have impressed or improved in those games? There's one guy that comes to mind, I think, after checking him out at the Army uh, or the All-American Bowl, and it's Trey Owens after having a great season or a great week, great season, but specifically a great week in San Antonio. Yeah, Trey Owens. Well, I can give you one on each side of the ball. Trey Owens was fantastic. Listen, that kid wakes up with a chip on his shoulder, and at some point that's got to get heavy. Because all he does at 6'5 is become a better passer. You know, forget a star ranking when you're talking about, about, about a Trey Owens. It was similar to Malik Murphy. He's a developmental guy that if you get in the right system at the right time with the right mindset, you're going to have yourself a quality quarterback. Trey Owens has proven to be that and maybe a little bit more. Give A.J. Milwee a ton of credit on the, on the Trey Owens evaluation as well. He was early in on that kid, and, and obviously he shut it down soon. On the defensive side – Man, our boy UT was is going to be sad, but I got to tell you, Zena Umiazulu, we saw this last week, him bend the edge more than I've ever seen on any tape he's put in high school. I don't know if they've, they've just changing him in positions, which it didn't seem that likely, even though he did play some linebacker this year for Allen. He was bending the edge like he was born to do it. And that was not something I was expecting to see. Now, on campus, after a couple of years in the strength and conditioning program, because he was always the lighter in the britches of the Umiazulu group. Don't forget, too, his twin brother, Zeke Umiazulu, will be walking on. He will be on the football team as well. He's a long kid, about 6'5", 210 pounds. He, I believe he's another one of those edge outside linebacker types. But Zena is the one that showed me something. Zena is the one that – even in practices, you you and I, all three of us, Eric, same, we've been to the practices, and sometimes those are b- better gauges of what they're doing than the games are because you're literally going against the best of the best at every snap and in every drill. Jordan Johnson Rebell showed a knack for tackling everyone. Kobe Black showed a knack for covering everyone. But Zeno Umiazulu not only showed it during these practices, he put it into the, to the game when they played in Orlando, got a strip sack, had three tackles, had a half dozen quarterback pressures, he just showed us a bend to that edge that I I haven't seen him have before. We'd kind of projected he'd have it, but I'm not going to say I've seen a lot of that on tape. I saw a ton of it this last week, and those two to me stand out the most. Really good evaluation by the staff. They uh, they stuck to their guns on that evaluation. They you know there's early questions about it, how physical he could be, how big he could get. Um, I don't know why there was questions about how big he can get. Look at his neck. Um, he's long limbs. He's going to get up. Oh, to he's filling out, man. Five, 270 pounds. Um, he's going to be really good. Needs a little time under tension in the weight room. Uh, but that's going to be a good one. I think, you know, you mentioned UT was going to be upset. He's always upset this time of year. Uh, he goes out on these on these limbs with his saw and cuts the, <laughs> cuts the limb off himself. Uh, <laughs> hey, let's get to uh, PD. Hey, and right. got a funny question here. Oh, go for I it. Gotta, I got to know something. Z- uh, Zima and Zeke, are they identical or fraternal twins? Fraternal. Okay. But they do look very 
they all but look very similar. Five. Yeah, he's I a little wonder, taller than Zena. I just wonder if you get a steal. He's the not the one. athlete though. He's not the twitchy like Zena is. He he's just he's he's a really good, smart, big kid. Okay. He played he played defensive end for Allen this last year. Go ahead. Yeah. Allen, I want Justin, to hit PD in Richmond. This is a fun one. Justin, yeah, you wanted to talk about yeah. his hide coming, and that's referring but, to Hyde Manning. That's uh, Arch's little brother, correct? Yeah. I mean, are we going to start a dynasty in Austin with the Mannings? Is this going to be what Ole Miss was supposed to be? Perhaps. It's so funny because I texted you guys this, what, about a month ago? I said, somebody hit me up and asking about Hyde. And so I, I reached out. And Hyde said, hell yeah, I'm going to Texas. Yeah. He said, and to, to let people know he's not playing football. He's he's not going to walk on. He's not going to play football. Hyde, is, Hyde actually led the defensive line this last year in sacks. I got to speak with their head coach at Isidore Newman, Arches head coach, obviously, Nelson Stewart, a couple days ago. And he had remarked about how impressed he was with Hyde, his progression. Do you know that team, Isidore Newman, went farther this year than they did last year? And last year they had Arch, they had Randall, they had McDonald, they had another D1 uh, defensive lineman. They had, they still had Bortle on. They went farther, and Hyde Manning was one of the anchors of that defensive line. So tip of the cap to Mr. Manning. I asked him why, you know, why is he not walking on? He basically said he is moving on to other ventures in life. He's going to retire from the sport of football, and he's going to just go crush college. He's going to be the Fiji uh, version oh. of Arch. He's going to be the Fiji cool. version of Arch. You know, I, I don't know if it's been made public, but uh, they got it on video when he uh, when, when he found out he was getting into Texas, and he looked like he had his name called on the prices right. To say he was excited is an understatement. Um, that kid's going to do, do college right. He's going to have every bit as much fun as a football player. You can bet that. He gets a lot of the perks without a lot of the work. So, uh Hyde Manning, he's going to be a campus legend. There's no doubt about it. I, I like, uh, yeah, <laughs> considering what we've, uh, some, some of the people who are in that uh, sphere, he's going to do well there. I like this question. Uh, had some questions about DeCorian Moore, and this one's kind of related. How does Bryce Underwood's commitment affect DeCorian Moore's recruitment? Bryce Underwood uh, from the Detroit area, the number one overall recruit in the 2025 class, uh, quarterback. Uh, headed to committed to LSU, I think last week. So now LSU has DeCorian Moore. They have Bryce Underwood. They have Harlan Berry. It's going to, I mean, we talked about earlier how playing with a good quarterback or having a good quarterback of the class really helps recruiting. And I, I feel like that's going to affect DeCorian, but Texas, Justin still has a, a very good in there as well, correct? Yeah. I, the only way Bryce Underwood's commitment affects to Corey and more it's just the ability for graphic designers to make up more edits about having the number one number the number one quarterback number one running back number one wide receiver it's so cool to be able to say that if you're in a recruiting cycle and you nail all three of those spots that's pretty awesome uh I, but you know what it's january i don't think it lasts now underwood i'm a, i have no idea I, i'm not in in tune with that recruitment at all i'm not i'm not sure where he's at Harlan Berry and LSU is probably going to stick, but Texas is not giving up on, on Harlan Berry. I talked to a source about him a couple of days before he committed to LSU. They knew it was going to happen, and they said they don't care. They're treating him like a priority, like Jordan Davison. DeCorey Moore, this doesn't affect him. All it does is look cooler on social media. All it does is help when you post it on your IG stories. You get to tell people you're part of the number one class in 2025. I still think he is a soft verbal 
there. I don't think it's going to affect it that much. It's too soon, guys. He committed so early, and it was so reactionary to the Colin Simmons uh, ordeal. And not to mention, there's a good chance he's on campus in two weeks in Austin for junior day anyway. That seems like a recruitment that you just have to keep chipping, keep chipping, and hope that everybody keeps chipping, not just – Texas and Oregon are pushing DeCorian more than anybody. There are a good section of schools that have stopped recruiting DeCorian. It's kind of weird. He's like, Texas and Oregon really are the only other two that push like a, like like LSU. I think SMU stays involved, but they, they stay involved with everybody in DFW. Without a doubt. I like this one. we got two more good ones, I think, to, to finish up on. Why did Nayor become a non-issue on the offense? Well, did who, who are you going to play him over? Were you going to play him over Jordan Whittington? Were you going to play him over Xavier Worthy? Were you going to play him over Adonai Mitchell? I don't think so. And then I think there was just some aspect of, you know, getting back up to speed. It, it, it He had his one catch, uh, but there are other talented guys who had, you know, worked their butts off in their first year, like, like Jonte Cook and even like the experience Casey Kane to where uh, I just don't think there, there's only one football and there's so many snaps in the Steve Sarkeesian offense at wide receiver to where, hey, he, he didn't think that Texas was the place for him probably because there was a cap on his playing time. So, We'll see what happens with him at Nebraska. Any, anybody else have anything on that? No, I've been asked that question a lot this offseason. That's pretty much uh, sums it up. I think uh, yeah, Nebraska will be interesting. You know he's going to play there, a la Marcus Washington going up there. Um, good luck to him. I think this is a good one to end on. With this new era of NIL and transfer portal, is the new norm keep your core and build around them every year? And Eric, Ian, I know y'all have both kind of talked about the idea of roster management. And at this point, you kind of have to talk about the idea of an, an unspoken salary cap even. Uh, but almost, I don't think that's a bad idea. There are guys, maybe not a keep your core, but maybe just keep guys at your positions where you know you need that in order to not just compete, but also compete in the portal elsewhere and when you're recruiting guys well i mean they've got to have their foundational pieces for sure and Ian, i don't think you've talked in a while so you should probably take over but i'll say that you know they've got to have the lines you can't build uh your lines out through the portal uh so you've got to recruit at a high level skill is a lot easier to find even quarterbacks are easy to find uh within reason quinn yours is an example of that uh, so you've got to build out the foundation basically it's like the nfl you know your core is going to come through the draft which is recruiting and then you're going to supplement uh, with free agency, which is NIL. Ian, yeah. thoughts? Uh, big guys, you need to be all in on recruiting big guys, like Eric said. They're just not in the portal the same way, especially D-line. But honestly, <clears throat> O-line is pretty hard to build out through the portal, too, as I think Oklahoma's going to find this year. Um, yeah, but the little guys, you guys is not bad, but you know you can't be you can't go there every year uh, for numerous pieces. If you, you, know, you, you they don't know they're not going to know the scheme. You need time to build cohesion and you know get the right footwork and all these little things. Yeah, you need you need like you need the athletic veterans that'll come in and be a veteran, and everybody else wants those guys because everybody needs them. But the little guys, they prop up all all all, all over the place all the time. There's like tons of cornerbacks and wide receivers that were missed out of high school for any number of reasons. And then it turns out that they're like NFL caliber players or at least really, really good college players. Um, so I, it's very position specific. 
I don't think there's – I think you all hit the nail on the head. And, uh, Eric, I think when you mentioned scheme, that's that's the most important thing because we saw when you're talking about Texas having however many O-line coaches and however many years, yeah, the offense may have been mostly the same for, you know, when Tom Herman went through however many and then they switched to Sark. Maybe not mostly the same. Still, that's a lot of change, a lot of change for a position group that necessitates cohesion. Absolutely. Yeah. You need continuity at offensive line more so than everywhere. And, and also yeah. I think in the secondary that the same holds true as well. And speaking of the secondary, my guy Kabir Hussein, hopefully I said that correctly. My friend uh, asked about Devin Sanchez. Of course they're going to stay on Devin Sanchez. They uh, Terry Joseph went by and saw him in December, went, went by and saw Kobe Sellers down there in Shadow Creek. I think they'll get Sellers and, you know, Devin Sanchez is probably going to be a recruitment we're talking about uh, next December. You know, I'm not sure that that one's ever going to be done until it's truly done. Texas will stay on him. He's that talented. Justin just saw him, came came away raving about him. Uh, as we all know, he's incredibly fluid. I uh, thought Denver Harris was awesome. Give me Devin Sanchez, brother. Yeah. Woo! Yeah. Devin is a guy that Texas will be all in when it matters, um, which is going to be late. You know, I, I always tell people there's certain recruitments you kind of just put on hold, let the coach do their let the coaches do their things, uh, put in work, build relationships, keep playing all the angles. Uh, we'll be talking about Devin next December. I feel confident. And don't forget, Sark plays the long game, especially on these elite guys. He doesn't like the pressure. Him yep. doing that with Devin Sanchez might be the smartest thing to get in in that recruitment. Is that a must? Is that a must-get recruitment? I think he's a good enough player to be that. Yeah, I don't know if the need is going to be there to take it to must-get recruitment, but right. I mean, yeah, you need your top lead corners. Um, if the yeah, depth I, chart didn't look so fancy, I would say. Yeah, yes. we'll see. They can move some of those guys around, though. Is Kobe Black going to be a corner long-term? Um, you know, Cordell oh, Mack can maybe play nickel. They've got so many nickels, though, so you want them to stick at corner. Um, Santana Wilson, I think, is a is a pure, pure corner. Um, but there's not a ton of depth. You know, they lost they lost seven defensive backs in the in the portal this past uh, – or the, well, one of the draft in <laughs> Watts, and then <laughs> these two corners just crazy. That's a good point. I think there's room. I think there's definitely room for a talented corner like uh, Devin Sanchez. I – it probably is safe to call him a must-get recruit. Um, but, man, I don't want to break my streak on missing on those guys, so I don't know. It's a must-get recruit if they start really, really, really recruiting them, I guess, is to say. Yeah, I think I think that one's definitely going to heat up. And, you know, we'll, that, you know, I don't I don't know why he felt the need to commit so early. Um, but um, oh, is he still committed? Is he uncommitted or still committed? He just committed, committed to Ohio State. Ohio but he's been, he's been committed wow. to Ohio State for six months. He just went public with it. Yeah, yeah. This you know, kid loves Ohio State like Jeffrey Okuda loved Ohio State. This is not yeah. going to be easy. Well, we'll see. You know, that's another loss to Michigan. My be like a Jamal, like a Jamal down at LSU, Jamal Adams. <laughs> Something about these elite kids. Uh, that was that was more Texas, that was more Texas spitting the bit. He had been to Texas so many freaking times and, yeah. and knew that Mac Brown was was on his way out. And it's yeah, that was that was that was rough. I'm still not. I put there. Sanchez in that conversation with those guys. Yeah, all right. He's he's what a five star defensive back looks like. I think that's the easy thing to say. So, guys, anything else, or is it uh, time to get on out of here? I'm good. I need to eat dinner and, and uh, yeah, get my kid to bed. Hey, Huftex, she's one of our best guys, though. We got to say something. No, I don't expect uh, that Sark is going to start uh, involving the wide receivers more. I think he's going to going to keep doing what he does, man. He likes his short bench. And, um, you know, they're going to have Worthy uh, – not Worthy. Um, they're going to have Cook, Golden, and a mystery third guy probably. And then, you know, Ryan Wingo is going to have to get some playing time. That's just obvious. So, 
Um, you know, probably four guys I would I would say Parker Livingstone and Freddie DeBose and uh, Aaron Butler, I think will will redshirt. Um, but we'll see, you know. But I don't think Sark's gonna change his stripes on on that. I think you know, probably four guys will play. He may I like that one. Go ahead. He'll play more because uh I don't know if he'll have as many tight ends next year. That's true too. But yeah, maybe they play more running backs because they got a lot of those. Yeah, well, that might be a good idea. Yeah, we've seen Texas be willing to use pretty much any personnel that they can. Uh, depending on who they've got. So, all right, good hour and four minutes. Guys, thank you so much. Make sure you like the video, subscribe to the Inside Text Football YouTube channel. we got these live streams coming on a regular basis. We're going to hit all the highlights with recruiting. we still got 2024 guys outstanding uh, with portal recruiting, still some targets outstanding as well. 2025 and 2026 is even. Junior days are about to get going. There's one on the 20th. And then, of course, hey, spring football and, and workouts will be here before they, we even know it. So, guys, appreciate it so much. Thank you for watching this live stream, and we'll see you next time on the Inside Texas YouTube channel.